My name is Amara Strandy, and at the age of 15, I was diagnosed with stage 4 fibrolamellar hepatocellular carcinoma, an incredibly rare form of liver cancer. In March this year, Amara Strandy testified in front of Minnesota lawmakers. Due to its rarity and low survival rate, there is no standardized form of systemic treatment other than surgery. There are no curative options, no roadmap, and no plan. Her voice was shaking throughout her speech. Amara was telling the legislators that she had a rare form of cancer and that there was a tumor pressing against her throat. The cancer had spread throughout her lungs, and she told the lawmakers that day it was getting worse. They can't do surgery this time. There are no more treatments to try. My life is a product of toxins. I was exposed to these harmful chemicals through no fault of my own. And as a result, I will die with this cancer. About a month after she testified at the Minnesota State Capitol, Amara died, just days shy of her 21st birthday. Amara found out she had cancer when she went in for a routine physical in high school. Amdalat Ajasa is a weather and climate reporter for The Washington Post. In the months since Amara's death, Amdalat has been looking into how and why this happened to Amara. She had these interesting symptoms. Um, You know, she had really bad headaches and she had severe abdominal pain and um, cramping. And she brought these symptoms to her physician. And her physician was like, oh, you know, maybe we should check this out. And a routine physical turned into her getting a 15-pound liver tumor removed over the course of two surgeries about two weeks later. Amdalat first began this reporting in Minnesota when she was covering the use of PFAS by 3M, a huge manufacturing company. PFAS are also known as forever chemicals, and they've been found in the water supply of places around Minnesota. One of those cities that was affected was Woodbury. That's where Amara's family lives. And forever chemicals are what Amara believed caused her cancer. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Monday, August 21st. I'm Michelle Borstein. I'm your guest host. Today, my colleague Libby Casey speaks to Amdalat about the life and death of Amara Strandy and how Amara became a key player in combating the use of forever chemicals. So tell us about Amara. Who was she before she got sick? Her friends would describe her as someone that was just absolutely full of life and contagiously vibrant. She was a musician. She was an artist through and through. I I was able to go to her house and see some of the paintings that she made, um, look at all of her art. She was also an actress and a singer before she got cancer. And even She continued that journey even after she got cancer as well, despite the cancer limiting some of what she was able to do. I know close to about six months before she died, she started to lose feeling and she started to lose the ability to use her right arm, which her mom was just, she just described it as being brutal. She was a pianist 
a guitarist, a ukulele player. That's, that was her whole comfort, right? And that was her talent. And to lose her right arm was like the freaking cruelest thing. Her mom told me a story about one of the last times she was able to fully use her arm and something told her before she went to the doctor that day to play the piano one last time. And she left the doctors unable to to use that arm. And she told her mom, something told me to play because I knew it was going to be my last time, which is just absolutely heartbreaking. Because I remember I was taking her to the hospital and she was playing piano. And then when she, could, when she was really in horrible pain, she said to me, I'm so glad I took time to play piano before I left the house because I knew that would be the last time. That's the stuff that, like, that kind of suffering, I don't think very many people know that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think the legislators know that. I don't... People don't know what it's like to see someone be destroyed by cancer unless you're watching it. I want to learn more about what happened to Amara, but first, let's talk about where she lived and the concerns there about forever chemicals. Most of Amara's life, she lived about a mile away from 3M's headquarters in Maplewood, Minnesota. The history with forever chemicals in the area stems back to the 1950s. During that time, 3M started dumping PFAS and unlined pits throughout the East metro area of St. Paul. Um, those pits were unlined, and at one point they were dumping over 4 million gallons of toxic sludge into these unlined pits. Um, And they did that for about 20 years. And as a result, um, PFAFs found their way into the groundwater there. In the early 2000s, officials came out and said that the drinking water had actually been contaminated and that over 140,000 residents had been drinking water contaminated by forever chemicals. So before we go any further, can you explain what forever chemicals or PFAFs are? Yeah, so PFAFs, or their scientific name is polyfluoroalkyl substances, are chemicals that were made for the purposes of not breaking down. So they're, they're called forever chemicals because they have extreme durability and they don't break down in the environment. PFAFs were originally created to help pans be more durable and so that they had the feature of being nonstick. So it'd be like a nonstick coating or surface on the pan. Exactly. And now PFAFs are now found in everything. I know some of the Minnesota state legislators were particularly banning PFAFs in menstrual products, dental floss, Um, But PFAFs have been found in fast food paper wrappings, toilet paper. Uh, I was told that the coating of some pills are also coated with PFAFs. Um, Furniture in homes, paint. The extent kind of is far. There's thousands and thousands of products with PFAFs in them. So if the purpose of them is to not break down or degrade, what happens when they get into the environment? They don't break down or degrade. I talked to one source who said that PFAFs were going to outlive us. And the only way for PFAFs to be taken care of or cleaned up in our environment is for them to be removed. In 2018, 3M in Minnesota settled um, for $850 million for 3M's contamination of water throughout Minnesota with PFAFs, although uh, the settlement doesn't 
admit any liability for their role in that. In a statement at the time, the 3M executives said that they never believed that there was a health issue with PFAFs, but decided to essentially settle to bring the community together, to have other projects and things that would benefit the community. So that was the environment that Amara grew up in. How rare or unique was Amara's story of someone who was so sick at a young age? Sadly, for people in that area, it wasn't uncommon. I spoke to a teacher at Tartan High School where Amara went to school who said that in about a decade, they had lost five students to cancer. It was frequent for teachers to have rare forms of cancer, um, students to have leukemia. Um, I spoke to another source who had a baseball-sized tumor removed from his brain when he was 15, and they all lived in this area. Um, The extent of the cancer was so vast. I mean, you know, high schools have the regular social groups like the jocks and the musical theater kids. But at this school, they also had a group that was just informally known as the cancer kids, just just because of how prevalent cancer was in their community. Studies are still trying to determine forever chemicals' impacts on human health and the links to cancer. And right now, what scientists can say are that there are links, but there is not a lot of concrete information to definitively say that Forever chemicals do cause cancer. However, in this area, there are, you know, there are a lot of stories about people who have cancers. One of the experts in the lawsuit found that a child that died in Washington County, where Amara lived between 2000 and 2015, was 170% more likely to have had cancer than a child who died in the surrounding area. Can we say for certain why Amara got cancer or how she got cancer? We cannot say for certain how Amara got cancer, and I think that's very important to note. Um, She believed that her cancer was caused by her exposure to PFAFs, and when she went to state legislators, she was very adamant about that, but there— there, there's no proof. And uh, her her family acknowledges that. She acknowledged that. But she really believed that her exposure to PFAFs living over this toxic plume, which is now almost 200 square miles in Minnesota, she believes that that is what caused her cancer. What happened once Amara was diagnosed? Um, how did it impact her body? And then what does a 15-year-old do with this stage four cancer diagnosis? When Amara was first diagnosed with cancer. Her family was told that she would only have a year to live. And her family described to me what it was like planning their life in three-month increments because they didn't know if Amara was going to live past those three months. Um, Her sister said that... For me, it felt like every vacation we took, we took it because Amara, it could be Amara's last vacation. It could be her last week. It wasn't so we could have vacation. It was so we could have one last chance. And that's really hard for not only someone who's 15, but her sister who, you know, she told me that she basically watched her sister grow sicker and sicker and she just knew the entire time that she was going to die. And luckily, Amara lived past her one-year prognosis, but then her family kind of lived their life in three-month increments. But during her last year, her doctors told her that there were no more treatments. She had underwent 20 surgeries. Um... So many surgeries that her mom said total, she had about four feet of scars on her body. And and due to the rarity of this cancer that she had, there was not a lot of solutions. They were doing experimental treatments. They were doing chemo. And the biggest solution that they had, or the biggest treatment that they had, rather, was, was surgeries. And after, 
you know, five and a half years of surgeries, her doctors were like, there are no more surgeries. There are no more treatments. She kept going to high school. What else did she keep doing to retain her sense of self and keep growing even as she was fighting this cancer? Amara did continue to go to high school, and her parents were very adamant about the fact that her school was really supportive and made sure that she was able to graduate. She actually went to college, too, um, which was awesome. She continued pursuing music. She also auditioned for the Minnesota Chamber Choir, um, purposely omitting that she had cancer because she didn't want to get in because they felt bad for her. And they did, she didn't want to get in because of pity. She wanted to get in because of her talent, and she did. Um, she continued to write songs, songs which she started to record about a year before she died. Her song, I Am The Strange, really is just truly heartbreaking. She talks about, you know, how... Her, her her tears are dry, um, but her body's her body's breaking and rotting, um, and feeling like she's out of place and feeling like she's the strange. And she used music to, as her parents said, cope with the fact that, you know, she had cancer, and it was her way of expressing life uncertainty and, you know, confusions and anger about having this form of cancer. After the break, Amara takes her message beyond her community. We'll be right back. How else did she spend her time? Um, Because it sounds like she was someone who had a lot of passions, but also wanted to leave a mark. Actually, I feel like her parents would say she didn't want to leave a mark. (laughs) It was kind of something that just happened due to her, what her dad said. I don't know if you'll love that I'm saying this, but at one point he called her bullheadedness. Um, And... She was an advocate for everybody even before she got cancer. I remember um, she was active in her church. Um, and while she was in the hospital, her dad told me how she would purposely go around and friend all of these other children who had cancer. Um, and her dad asked her, you know, why are you going to friend these people that you know could die? And she told him, I don't want them to feel alone when they die. Um, she she was constantly going and doing things to make sure that other people felt like they had a spot. Like her dad said, she was a champion for the little guy. At her school, you know, there was that unsanctioned group called the Cancer Kids, and she made sure that they they had a voice as well. It sounds like Amara was naturally gifted at creating community. Like you said, looking out for the little guy, watching out for people at her high school, watching out for people who were also cancer patients. Does she try to take her message beyond that? Yeah. From the time Amara was diagnosed with cancer, her mom told me that she immediately wanted to spark change. She she didn't want anyone to have to deal with forever chemicals or the harmful effects of forever chemicals. And she also just didn't think people knew a lot about it. So during the last few months of her life, she, she took her message to the state capitol and she advocated for a ban of forever chemicals 
in products. She worked with lobbyists, environmental activists, and she just told her story. She told the story of a 15-year-old that was diagnosed with a one in five million form of cancer. Growing up, I lived in the 3M plume and attended Tardin Senior High School, where I met many classmates that were also directly affected by cancer as a result of what we now understand these chemicals to be PFAs. When toxins in the environment hit a person's DNA at a particular vulnerability, a cell mutates. And she went um, to the Capitol multiple times. Um, Even during the last few months of her life when it was hard for her to do things, her mom talked about how it would take them three to four hours to prep her to make her look good enough to go because she was just so drained. Um, and, And it was heartbreaking. Her mom talked about how you know, you're basically bringing a sick kid to life so that by the time she got to the Capitol, she wouldn't look sick. Um, She, due to the amount of tumors in her lungs and the tumors pressing on her vocal cords, it was really, she got winded very easily. So her, her family would have to wheel her up to the Capitol. But once she got to the committee doors, um, she was like, hide my wheelchair. I'm going to walk in because she didn't want them to She didn't want them to make change, again, because they felt bad for her. She wanted them to make change because it was the right thing to do. You know, one of her most powerful quotes was, My life is a product of toxins. I was exposed to these harmful chemicals through no fault of my own. And as a result, I will die with this cancer. I want to warn you of the realities faced by countless Minnesotans as a direct result of forever chemicals. I want you to know... How closely was Amara listened to by legislators and people who could actually pass laws and make change? Bills suggesting restrictions and bans of PFAS in Minnesota's legislation has been on the forefront of minds for lobbyists for a few years. I talked to one source who had been working on it for three years, and she was just like, we kept hitting brick walls. And this year, you know, they they suggested another bill, and an activist brought Amari in to tell her story, and they said that she made the difference. Not only did she make the difference, but this bill passed with bipartisan support. Here's Jen McEwen, she is a Democratic member of the Minnesota State Senate, speaking about Amara's impact at a conference after the bill was passed. All of us saw the testimony that Amara brought to the legislature, and all of us were so moved by um, what she was doing to advocate for all the rest of us when she was going through her own um, cancer and uh, was getting sicker and sicker, and she kept coming and she kept sharing her story. It was amazing. And it moved so many people. And um, my legislative assistant, Jack Fisher, um, was so moved as to one day come up with this beautiful idea that we should name this legislation after Amara. So what does the bill do? So the bill bans the use of PFAS in all products by 2032, except for those that are necessary for public health, and requires manufacturers to report the use of PFAS in their products to the state by 2026. The law also prohibits the specific use of PFAS in several products starting in 2025. Um, Some of those products include, again, those menstrual products, dental floss, and other things that legislators thought needed to be banned more immediately. What has the company 3M told you about these chemicals? 
When I spoke with a representative from 3M, they declined to make a representative available for me to interview. And they also didn't answer any of my questions on how the company currently views the toxicity of PFAS. Back in June, in a multi-state settlement that's separate from their Minnesota one, the company agreed to pay $10.3 billion over the course of 13 years to provide funding for public water supplies that had detected PFAS. Like they did in the 2018 Minnesota settlement, the company stated in their June settlement that this is not an admission of any liability. How did the community's relationship that Amara had come from change with 3M? Because this is a a big company. They employ a lot of families in the area. Um, What's the relationship like now? Based off of what Amara's mom told me, the relationship hasn't changed all that much. She spoke about how she had friends and neighbors who they just had to kind of agree not to talk about 3M because they they just they just viewed the issue differently, you know. Amara's family believes that their dumping caused their daughter's cancer, even though they're not able to prove it. And a lot of people in the community work for 3M and 3M has a major influence over that community, not to mention, you know, 3M is is their headquarters in Minnesota. I didn't know this, but the, the 3Ms in 3M mean Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. So their influence over the community is very vast. And that's kind of the influence that industry just in general has over that area. Amdalat, when did Amara die and what happens next for Amara's law? Amara died on April 14th two days before her 21st birthday and less than a month from when the Minnesota House and Senate passed Amara's law. So um, she wasn't able to, as one of the lobbyists said, kind of see the fruits of her labor. But she dedicated literally the, the last bits of her life to this legislation. What happens next with Amara's law is based off of what my sources tell me, they they hope that this sweeping law, which is the harshest ban of pre- on Forever Chemicals in the country, motivates other states to do the same. You know, Forever Chemicals aren't unique to just Minnesota. Forever Chemicals are all over the world. So the reach of PFAS is, is expansive, and it's not just a Minnesota issue. Um, a lot of people in the area are still kind of grappling with the what now, because essentially what this ban does is it turns off the tap. So they're not going to be able to produce PFAS anymore, but these forever chemicals are now going to linger in the water, and they're still there. Amdullah, thank you so much for sharing your reporting with us. Thanks for having me. Amdalat Ajasa covers weather and climate for The Post. She spoke to my colleague, Libby Casey. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Jeff Pierre. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. Thanks to Stuart Leavenworth. If you're looking for the latest updates on the big news of the day, check out our morning news briefing, The Seven. The podcast is hosted by Jeff, and he brings you through the seven stories you need to know about every weekday morning. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your guest host, Michelle Borstein. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.
There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover, from global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.